So great to see you today. I want to take just a moment, if you're here at Windmill, let's welcome those who are at our other locations as we continue to influence at West Henderson. And we got a big group in St. George today that's out there as they continue to ramp that up. Or if you're just watching from the comfort of somewhere else, we always encourage you to be in the room at one of our crossing locations. We always believe that that's the best experience. But if you can't be here, we love that we can be able to come into your homes or to come wherever you are and you can stay up to date on what is going on. Well, the Europeans... They have, they have ingenious forms of torture that they've invented and implemented in the Middle Ages. And so it's not just soccer, which they torture us with now, that they've, that they've invented. And one form of torture that was extremely barbaric is that they would take the victim and they would tie each of their four limbs to four different horses. I know it's early, sorry. And then they would make the horses go, and we can just get a picture of what that would look like. And the French actually had a word for this when this would happen. They would call it distraction, distraction. I'm pretty convinced that we would all agree with this statement. We are distracted people. We are distracted people. And it's not something, come on, it's not something we would claim to be proud of or even any of us would say that's really healthy in our lives or in our hearts or in our souls. But it's true. In fact, I would go as far to say that many of us are not just distracted, but we are addicted to distraction. Most of us feel like that photograph we just saw. That in our days, in the weeks, in the times that we live in, sometimes we feel like that. Like we are being pulled. We are being yanked in a number of different directions. You may feel like you're currently experiencing a slow death by distraction. That's why we called this series, Killing What's Killing You. And here again, one more time, is our theme verse for the series. Because I think it speaks directly to, to distraction. Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only to steal. Sounds like distraction. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Distraction is a thief. And listen, left unchecked in our lives, it will leave us frustrated. It will leave us worried, upset. Of course, eventually, worst of all, it will take us so far off course that it will destroy us. Let me show you an example of this. It's in Luke chapter 10. Let me read you the story. If you want to find it, you can as well. Luke chapter 10. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village we're about to meet two women, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, ladies, if Jesus is coming to your house, it's a thing. I like, like, we're Swiffer in the floor, right? We're doing that. Like, we're putting out all the best towels. We're replacing the ones with toothpaste all over. We're putting the new towels in the bathroom. We're doing all those things. Jesus is coming, all right? And so she also had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. But Martha was what? Distracted. This is the only place specifically in the New Testament where we see this word actually used. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she wasn't just distracted, she was irritated with Mary. And so she came to Jesus and she asked him, she said, Lord, hello, hello. 
I know you're here. You're sitting with your feet up on my ottoman. And my sister's sitting right here by, by you. You got a cold beverage. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her, tell her to help me. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, Martha, Martha. Now, when you were a kid and your mom used your middle name, that was a problem. When your mom would use your first and last name, added to, that was a big, big deal. So when Jesus said, Mar when, she, when he repeated the name, Martha, Martha, like, yo, attention right here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And here's what it is. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what is happening? You know, even if you've been away from church for a long time, even if you're not sure about this Jesus thing yet, somebody invited you today, you're just you're checking it out or you're rechecking it out. You, you may have heard this story. This is like one of those when you were dragged to Sunday school as a kid, they put the story up and you, and you heard the story. But I want you to see it through fresh eyes today. I want you to look at it through, through your eyes and what distraction is destroying in your life. And we have to ask the question when we read Jesus' response, what exactly is happening that caused him to celebrate one sister, Mary, and to publicly call out the other, Martha, Martha. Now let's be clear about what he's not doing. He's not highlighting one personality type over another. This is not an Enneagram issue, what number Mary is or what number Martha is. There are Mary people in this world, some of you are here, and there are Martha people. And that's how God created us. It's not one type being better because, because listen, Mary people, they notice the colors. And Martha people, I would say, they have the compass. If you're going on a hike, you're going on a day hike, you kind of want both because you're out there and Mary looks around and goes, isn't this amazing? Isn't, isn't this beautiful? Right? And Martha's going, all right, it's getting dark. And this is the direction back. I know, Mary, you have no idea where we are, but this is the way that we need to head back so we can get to the car and get home safely, right? Mary's admiring the flowers. Martha's pointing the way home. We need both of these individuals. This isn't a personality type. This isn't a problem with how God wired, how God designed them, or how God wired or God designed you. Jesus is not shaming Martha because of how she was designed. He understands and loves that loves that. But two things are true regardless of our wiring. That we should have a heart like Martha to serve, but we also need to be very aware of the dangers of distractions. I want to call them dinner distractions if that's okay from the story. Martha's making dinner because I, what causes you and I to have Martha moments, let's just, let's just lump them all into the bucket of dinner distractions. And I started to make a list. I was like, man, I wonder what distracts people. And so this last week, I'm like, make a list. And I finally just threw the, the list away. And I just put two words. This is, this is our, we know. Because you know. I don't need to stand up here for 10 minutes and tell you all the distractions that are in your life. You're already sitting there in your mind. Maybe the person next to you is the distraction. You're already sitting there in your mind and you're, you're walking through the distractions that are so prevalent in your life that are destroying you. So, so the answer to what are the distractions in my life, you know what they are. You know 
what they are. I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the traits of these dinner distractions that you already know. And there's two specific traits that all these dinner distractions have. The first one is this. It's focused on the what, not the why. And the second trait is this. It's focused on the urgent, not the essential. Let's start with the, the why one. These distractions in our life. If you're a leader in any setting, by the way, and you're trying to lead people and motivate people, it's incredibly important to you that you don't just focus on the what, but that you're always trying to bring people back to the why. When you gather people and you want to align them and move them forward, it's the why that's important to accomplishing the what. Some of you used to work for organizations or companies, and you left there and you went to another one because it was all about the what, where you were, and you wanted to be somewhere that you actually understood the why so that you would do the what. Like here at The Crossing, we do these things called activator team nights. We just had an activator concert. A lot of you were there, hundreds of people. And we designed these nights or these days to be around all of our high-capacity leaders, volunteers, hundreds of people who serve. And here's why we do it. Whenever we sit in the room and go, what are we doing? We want those days to be about the why not necessarily the what. We want to bring everybody who's a part of The Crossing together and, and remind them Here's why we do what we do. We want to bring everybody together and remind them, here's the focus that we want to have. Why? Because the what will always eventually drag you away. If, you're, if you get caught up in the what and you get distracted just by the what, eventually you will drift and you will lose sight of the why. So we know that as a church community. We don't want to just get so caught up in doing things and tasks and do this and that that we lose track of the why. And Martha's problem was not what she did in getting ready for Jesus. It was how she did it, and she missed out on all of it because she lost her focus on the why. Eugene Peterson, he said it this way. Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted meaning not paying attention. It means not having a focus. Not having an anchor, being pulled this way. Now you have that picture of torture again, right? Being pulled this way and that by whoever, sometimes it can be people, and by whatever. And this matters because when you lose your why, you always lose your way. Your way. Now I'm glad and thankful that Martha brought the guacamole to the party. We're all glad of that, right? I don't blame her. I mean, if Jesus was at my house, my anxiety would be high. I would want everything to be right. I can imagine she was working the barbecue grill hard, right? She was making sure the chips and salsa were there. She's trying to keep the ice cream for dessert cold. She's making sure the candle stays burning. The toilet paper matches the shower curtain. She's, refill, she's, she's constantly refilling the drinks. She's just trying to be the great and perfect host. But we would say to her, that's the what, but you are distracted. And she's so distracted that she gets mad. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? Aren't you paying attention to what's happening? Don't you care that my sister, that's how she said it, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? And by the way, tell her to help me. Tell her this lazy, no good sister. Come on, we all have one in our families. Every family has one. If you say our family doesn't have that lazy person, you're wrong. If you're not sure who it is, it might be you right? They never bring anything to the meal except for Tupperware, and they take everything home at the end. 
Martha people can't stand that, right? Like, help me, help me, help me, help me. And she's a mess at the moment, but Jesus just analyzes the situation. He sees right away how distracted she is, and she ba- he basically just says this, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And when you are this, you are distracted from the why. Why is Jesus here? What is really, you're distracted. Jesus is in the living room. And you're busy in the kitchen. You're doing the, you're doing the dishes while the Messiah is sitting in the living room. Because you're focused on the what and not the why. And you're also focused on the urgent, not the essential. And this obsession, and I'm guilty of it. This obsession for us with the urgent is killing so many of us. It's killing your focus, your peace. It's killing your opportunities. It's killing your joy. It's killing your career. It's killing what could have been or what might have been. It's just, is it just me? Are you just feeling completely at times pulled apart? It's really torture. And some of you are awesome. You say yes to everyone. And you say yes to everything because you want everyone to be happy and you want everything to be good. And that's great because you have this loving and kind heart, but you risk living other people's priorities instead of your own. Greg McEwen, in a great book he wrote a year or two ago called Essentialism, he says this, if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will do it for you. And some of you right now, you're like, light bulb, light bulb. Somebody else is prioritizing. When you think about your distractions right now, snapshot of today, how many of them are prioritized around your purpose and your, the plan God has for you? And how many of them are prioritized around somebody else's plan? Someone said this week, God loves you and everybody has a beautiful plan for your life. We're urgent. We're chasing more stuff, more success, more status. We're, we're distracted. Parents, listen. Some of us were working so hard. I love that. I, I respect that. I appreciate that. I've been there. We're working so hard. You're working so hard to give your kids more, whatever that means, more. And in the midst of that, we're never giving them what they actually desperately need, and that's us, ourselves. We're distracted I'll occasionally see a time hop photo come up on some of my social media, you know, when I'm distracted on my, on my phone. And it'll be something from seven, eight years ago. And, and most of the time, it's like a picture with one of my kids. So it'll be like a picture of my daughter who's 23 now, and, and she's got a softball glove on, right? Or we're sitting in a coffee shop when she's 16, and she's actually not embarrassed to sit there with me at a coffee shop. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Or, or I'll, I'll see a picture of my son who's 21 now, and, he's, and, he, and we're throwing a baseball, or he's got his golf clubs, or we're, we're watching a game together. And I sit there, and when I see those pictures, I think this. I'm so glad I was there. And God wants to say to some of us, parents, if this is for you today, just receive it. You're missing that. Don't miss that. You, you, I get it, but you can get more money. You can't get eight years old back. You can't. You can't get 10. You can't get 12. You only get it once. So today, beginning today, you refuse to miss that. Determine I will not be distracted from the essential by those things that right now seem so urgent. Dinner distractions. You know the list. You know. 
But we can't talk about this unless we talk about this. Device distractions. I got mine. And I get the irony of my family and friends of me standing up here talking about device distractions. Just save the emails. They're probably already texting me right now like, ha, 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 good one, right? Hey, here's the deal. We live in an age where all this information fits right here on our phones, right? I bet Martha wished she had one of these. Because when Jesus came over, she would have been on Pinterest right away. Like, I got I to gotta find the perfect meal to prepare for the Son of God. So I'm going to Pinterest. So she would have had Pinterest open in her kitchen, right? And then she would have had the picture of that, but then she would have had to go to YouTube. And on YouTube, she would have been able to search for that particular item, that, how to make that. So the person would lead her through that so she could create that picture that she has. But she'd be confused, so she'd have to FaceTime her mom in order to help her understand, right? And while the water is boiling, she would jump on Instagram, and she would see someone else is having a party that looks way better than her party. So she would have FOMO, fear of missing out right away. She'd be so frustrated and depressed. And she'd be sitting in her kitchen going, I need more devices. Like, I, just, I, just, I just can't get enough. Here's a number for you, 2617. I found this number this week. It's a, it's a study that they actually decide, have determined that over the last couple of years, it may have changed recently, but the, this is the number of times on average that Americans touch their phone each day. Right? Touch it. Now, if you haven't done the math lately, the number of minutes in a day is 1,440. So that means we're touching our phones nearly twice a minute, right? Touching it, touching it. And we have those things now that tell us how long we're on our devices, right? And they say that right now the average person spends, this is crazy, four hours a day on their devices, right? Some of you are like, I do way more than that. You're like, I'm winning. Like, no, you're losing, okay? <laughs> you're a loser, all right? Do not, do not celebrate that. That these devices are everywhere. And, the, and it's interesting that as our attention span is shrinking, our time on our devices is increasing. And along with that, our level of distraction. They did a study on pigeons. Don't know who studies pigeons, but this is true. They put all these pigeons in a huge cage and they, and they introduced a button. And what would happen is they taught the pigeons when they would peck the button, a pellet would get released that they could eat. And so over, over time, they began to learn. Like, we peck the button, and then the pellet comes, and we eat, and it's good. And so they got into that, and so all the pigeons would fly over. But what they learned over time is they started to kind of ignore the button. The only time they would go to the button is when they were hungry. So if they were hungry, they would respond by going to the button. They would peck the button. The button would then produce a pellet. They would be hungry, satisfied, and they would move on. But then they changed the study. And what they did is they made the button random. So when the pigeon would go over and peck on the button, sometimes they would get a pellet, and sometimes they would not. And what happened is the pigeons went nuts. They all became addicted to pecking at the button because they never knew if they were going to get rewarded or if they were not going to get rewarded. And the scientists actually said it actually impacted their health. They just sat there all day pecking, pecking, pecking. It sounds a lot like the apps on our devices, doesn't it? 
Because if you have apps on your phone that you did not pay to download, then somebody wants your eyes on them. And so whoever created that app is telling the advertisers, don't worry, they're going to be pecking away at this app. They're going to see your stuff. They're going to see it. And the value they're getting is you and me. Now, no, listen, hey, this is not the anti-Instagram like, everybody go buy a flip phone. Please don't do that. You'll take you way too long to text me. That's annoying, all right? <laughs> That's not what this is at all. We're happy for the technology and the season and the time in which we live and what God has given us. But the message is this. Let's use technology and not be used by technology to the point of distraction. So, hey, don't clap. Grab this. You got this when you came in. Here's what this is. It says, choose the better, right? That's what this is for. Some of you are panicking right now, right? Like, we should have given you two bags, one for your phone and one for you to hyperventilate while, you're, while your phone's in the bag, right? Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? What if someone texts me? What am I going to miss? I got to check the Bears score. I don't know what's going on, all right? Relax. Breathe, Martha. Breathe. It's all good, okay? It wouldn't be terrible, and this is yours to keep, by the way. It wouldn't be terrible for us to figure out how to put some envelopes and some boundaries in our lives when it comes to the devices that so want to distract us, because then we will be choosing the better. Why does all this matter? Here's the main idea for today. I want you to take this home with you. If we diminish the distractions, dinner distractions, device distractions, if we diminish the distractions, it's going to allow for important interruptions then, the potential for that, which produce divine opportunities. Because here's what you're not going to hear from me today. Sorry. Here's the three ways that you can eliminate distractions from your life. Stop it. You already know all of that stuff. What I want you to understand is I want you to understand why should we be motivated to diminish the distractions in our lives. And the way that we're motivated and we begin to put boundaries and envelopes into our lives is because if we do that, it will allow important interruptions to break through. Jesus was, of course, our model in this. You've heard of indestructible. Jesus was indistractable in his life. But he also, he was so fully committed to his God-given purpose. We see that over and over again. But he was also interruptible. He was indistractable, but he was interruptible. Sometimes we miss out. We don't, we don't see in the narrative of his life how focused Jesus was. I mean, he was focused. He couldn't be distracted. His family came one time to hang out with him. He's like, I can't do that right now. Some, there's another instance where he was hungry. That distracts me. And he's like, I, I don't even want to eat right now. I don't even need to eat because I'm in the middle of the, what God has given me to do. However, he also had important interruptions that happened on a regular basis. He allowed his Sabbath to be interrupted by a man who desperately needed healing. He was interrupted by a woman as he's on his way to heal a little girl who also desperately needed his touch. He put a child on his lap. When a crowd was, was hanging on his every word, he interrupted his teaching to do that. Henry Blackaby says this. He says, why don't we watch to see where God is at work all around us and then join him in that work? Jesus said it better. 
Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said the son can do nothing by himself. We can't do anything by ourselves. He can only do what he sees his father doing, what God is already up to, where God is already at work, where God is already happening divine moments and opportunities. And he sees his father doing it because whatever the father does, the son also does. Reflect for a moment on your life, the highlights, the story of your life. Think about it. My sense would be that so many of the moments that you would qualify as amazing moments would also qualify as interruptions that became opportunities. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse who is a result of an interruption. That if you would have been distracted, I think of a Trace Adkins song right now, if you would have been distracted at the wrong moment, you would have missed that. Perhaps you were connected to Christ for the first time because God got your attention through something that interrupted the course of your day. Perhaps you were used and you had a conversation with someone who completely needed it. You stopped when a coworker or a friend or a neighbor needed that and you had a conversation that was an opportunity you didn't think was going to happen. It may have even seemed like an interruption, but it was a divine opportunity Jesus taught us to live with the same sensitivity he had to the Spirit's movement all around us. So you ask, what is a divine opportunity? So glad you asked. Here's how I would define it. It's when God puts you in the middle of something that you had not planned, and what transpires is something filled with hope and transformation. That's a divine opportunity. Now keep in mind, all of this talk, killing what's killing you, all this talk about distraction and its destructive traits, this is not about you being more efficient. Man, if you could just go to work and be less distracted, you'd produce more. No, no, that's not what this is about. It's not about being able to focus more so we can accomplish more. That's not it. Here's the secret. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, and many of you in the room or you're watching, you're a follower of Christ, here's the secret. Distraction has the potential to cause us to miss his mission. Distraction has the potential to cause us to miss him and his purpose for your life. And here's the deal. He actually has one. We are crazy enough to believe that if we are a focused follower of Christ, that we can have added insights into what God is up to in the world, that we can actually have an understanding of why we're here, why our lives ultimately need to be need, matter and need to be about. And it causes us to really want to aggressively clear out the clutter of distraction in our lives, which means if we know all of this as a follower of Christ, the cost of distraction... If we don't become focused followers, the cost of distraction is so much higher for us because the cause and the call and the conviction of our lives are so much higher. So much higher. Jesus said it this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and yet loses his own soul? Let's get our souls back. Let's get our souls back. What does it profit? Some of you are like shaking right now. It's okay. It's right in here. You're good, okay? If you already took it out, put it back in. It's been five minutes. Here's a Chinese proverb. It says this. If you don't change your direction, you'll end up exactly where you're going. Which poses the question to you and I. Based on the direction and the level of distraction you're living with now, where are you headed? 
Are you headed, if you keep doing what you're doing, are you headed to a greater peace or higher levels of anxiety? And what about the mission and the purpose that God has for your life? How's that direction? How are the distractions impacting that? Is your current direction and the level of distraction you're experiencing actually causing you to miss those divine opportunities? You say, well, what's the difference between distraction and interruption? What's, What's the difference? Very simple. If you're distracted, it leads to worry and frustration. If we're interrupted, it leads to the feet of Jesus where Mary was. If we're distracted, we're Martha in that moment. If we allow ourselves to be interrupted and we see divine opportunities, like Mary did, we sit at the feet of Jesus. And listen, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a society that's profoundly sick. So if we're not happy, if we're not peace-filled, if we're not focused, and we say, well, it's just 2019. It's just the world we live in. No. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. So we should not be living the norm at all. Let's get our souls back. Let's be focused followers. I think Isaiah suggests how we do that. Here's what he says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah says, we'll find salvation, we'll find help, we'll find wholeness if we get repentance and rest. Isaiah says, we'll find strength, we'll have energy, we'll have more influence in quietness and trust. Focus followers are different. Listen, you're different. You reject the norms. Rather than fill their lives with noise, focus followers make time for silence, quietness, in which to listen, to hear, to process. Rather than anxiety driving them, focus followers learn to depend on a reliable God who invites them to join him in the strong and effective kingdom work that's already going on. That's trust. God's already doing stuff. He's just inviting you. Stop being distracted. Come sit at my feet. Let's do this together. Focus followers, rather than tackle project under the guise of doing something for God, they humbly, they humbly orient themselves to take their cues from God. That's repentance. That's the idea of let's change where we're going and let's tweak our direction. And finally, rather than working harder, focus followers replenish as hard as they work. That is rest. So let's live a life based on calling and conviction, not distraction. Let's get our souls back. I was at uh, our Midtown location on Tuesday afternoon for a meeting with construction people. And it's about, we're about done. It'd be awesome in the next few weeks. And I had about an hour of time after that meeting, and I was on that side of town. So I decided to leverage that, and I, wanted, I drove downtown to a really cool hipster coffee shop. None of you can go there, but hipsters go there, okay? And uh, I go down to this coffee shop downtown. I'm sitting there, and as I park my car, obviously it's downtown. You're familiar with downtown. There's all sorts of different folks down there. And I'm walking in with my backpack. I'm just going to take an hour to unpack the message a little more, work on it. And this, uh, this guy walks by me. He's obviously homeless, kind of has a word with me. Hey, man, you know, and I just keep walking. Can't be bothered. Can't be distracted. 
I get inside, I order my coffee, it was good. Again, you can't go there, but I get in there and it's really, really good. And I'm sitting there at the table and there's a young gal on the end, she's very hipster. Like it's 85 degrees and she's got a beanie on, she's cool. And she's got her computer and she's, she's, she's sitting there and we kind of make, hey, cool, whatever. And she's, she's doing her thing and I'm on the other end of the table and I'm doing my thing. And they're about an hour and when I get up to leave, I walk outside and as I walk to my car, I see this other gentleman walking across the parking lot and he's obviously homeless and disturbed. He's, he's yelling at himself, he's flailing at the air, he's walking frantically across the parking lot. And so my reaction is, hurry up and get in my car, I gotta get out of here. Many of us, we'd have that, you know, I gotta go. And so as I get in my car and I back out, I see this gal who had been sitting at the table with me, she, she's walking out and I can see out my window and I see what's about to happen, that this guy is he's yelling in the air and screams, is making a beeline towards her. So I pull my car out quick and I'm gonna be heroic. I'm gonna pull my car around and I'm gonna make sure nothing goes sideways here. So as I pull around and I make, finally get back to where I can see them, what I see is her with her arm on his shoulder and him standing there completely calm like this. And she's looking in his eyes and they're having a conversation. I suck. And I sit there for like two minutes. And I just, I don't know if she was praying, I don't know what she was doing, but he did not move. At the end of the conversation, she patted him on the shoulder and got in her car and he, he very calmly walked away down the sidewalk. And I drove away and I thought, it's so crazy. I'm talking about interruptions and I'm fighting hard to not get interrupted. We all do that, don't we? But it's interesting what interruptions can do in creating divine opportunities for us. So our goal today is not guilt. It's not to shame. We're killing that. It's how do we put the right boundaries to diminish distractions so we can experience interruptions. I want to close with this quote from a book called Unhurried Leaders by Alan Fadling. This is, this is our challenge as we close today before we take communion together. It says, let's learn together how to more closely follow Jesus in his way of being open to the people the Father has brought across his path. Let's learn how to put down our agendas and welcome surprises that weren't on our calendars or to-do lists. Let's learn how to stop labeling as interruptions to our work what may actually be God-given opportunities to do his work in that moment. And let's learn to make good plans rooted in our fellowship with God, but may we hold those plans loosely enough for him to guide us as we implement them. And finally this, Jesus has invited us into this reality of an ongoing conversational relationship with God, which I would describe as this to sit focused at his feet. Father, I just pray right now in this room, in this time, for those in the sound of my voice, whether they're here, whether at some other location, sitting in their home or a coffee shop experiencing today, God, I just pray right now that you would just convict us properly and challenge us holistically in our lives. God, we need the diminishment of distractions that would cause us to miss what you're up to. God, we repent of that. We want to find rest. We want to walk in trust and strength with you. Align us with you, God. Let us be completely and utterly in alignment 
with what you have for us, that the interruptions that you bring today, the interruptions of this week, the conversations we may have, let us see those for what they are as you guide and direct our lives into these opportunities that are divine and based in your kingdom. God, we ask it in your name. Amen.